Camp Wire is made possible with the generous support of our sponsors. With school well underway, it's time to start planning for holiday breaks. Camp and Class Manager from Active Network is the superior management software for camps hosted any time of the year. Make registration a breeze for participants to sign up anytime, anywhere with our mobile-friendly solution. Learn more at www.activenetwork.com forward slash ACA. our podcast. My name is Lauren McMillan and I am the Public Relations and Communications Manager for ACA and today I'm joined by Sam Hurt and Andy Meshberger and we're going to be talking about podcasts, all about podcasts, why camps may want to start a podcast, what to think about when considering podcasts and the entire process that goes into recording a podcast from start to finish. So for a quick intro, Sam Hurt is the Director of Marketing at Camp Tecumseh in Brookston, Indiana. Previously, he worked in PR and communications at the American Camp Association. He lives in Indianapolis with his wife and one-year-old son. Andy Soy Meshberger is a Camp Director and the CFO Chief Fun Officer at Gold Arrow Camp in Lakeshore, California. He was raised in Indiana and is a proud Purdue Boilermaker. Prior to working in organized camping full-time, he was a high school social science teacher for 14 years. Andy currently serves as the host of the Gold Arrow Camp podcast, is an amateur woodworker and an avid Pez collector. During the pandemic, he has learned to be a kindergarten Zoom teacher and second grade Zoom PE teacher for his two daughters. He is a Gryffindor who found himself married to a Slytherin. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, indeed. Thanks for having us. Okay, so just to give our listeners a little overview about the two of you, could you tell me a bit about your camp? So Sam, let's start with you. Tell me a bit about Camp Tecumseh, what population you serve, what the programs look like, whatever you'd like to share. Yeah, sure. We are, uh, Camp Tecumseh is, it's actually very close to um, Andy's alma mater, Purdue University in Indiana. And we are a large um, independent YMCA camp. I think we, we're one of the larger YM, YMCA camps in the country, I believe, as far as um, uh, who we, how many people we serve, which, um, yeah, so we, we do overnight and day camp in the summer. We also serve a lot of, um, group rental groups and, uh, YMCA guides and princesses, family camp, quilt camp, lots of things throughout the year as well. So we're, we're running programs all year long. Um, but our, our overnight camp, does about uh, 500 or so campers a session and the day camps another couple hundred a session. I love it. That's awesome. Gold Arrow Camp is um, a traditional Western residential camp uh, in the high Sierra. We operate only in the summer, so we don't do rental groups. We don't have anything else going on the rest of the year. Um, just those 12 weeks of, of summer is what we do. Um, you know, Population-wise, uh, we serve kids from across the country and the world. We do about 320 at a at a session when we're all the way full. And I think we, when people picture traditional summer camp, that's us. It's no technology. It's no electricity in the cabins. It's 
the old school sit around the campfire, ride a horse uh, kind of experience. So that's that's what we've been providing since 1933. So that's who we are. Oh, wow. 1933. And that's awesome. both, yeah, both of you are from from the Midwest area. And as we heard in your bio, Sam, you used to be in the role that I currently have with the American Camp Association. And correct me if I'm wrong about this, but did you start the Camp Wire podcast? I did. Yes. I started the podcast a few years ago. Um, I honestly, I'm trying to remember what the first episode was. I, I probably did like 10 episodes. I honestly don't remember. I decent. It was fun. And I started it, but it's been a little bit now. And then I think Kyle took over and John Beitner, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, but right. yeah, it was fun. And so as you moved from ACA to working at Camp Tecumseh, you started the Back Porch podcast as well back in 2017. Is that right? Actually, the so my predecessor, Mike Lang, started the Back Porch podcast and I took it over. Okay. So uh, and it's and it's not really the same either more um, as it was when he was doing it. When he was running it, he started it literally as a podcast on the back porch of cabins, um, sort of late at night when the campers were in bed that our counselors are allowed to have a little bit of time on the back porch um, of their cabins and so that was the whole theme of like going deep with counselors in those moments kind of and when I took it over it became a little bit more general about Camp Tecumseh and really about telling more of a marketing tool I would say as um, both his his uh, method and idea was awesome I think we just, I just took it into a different direction, but, but no, no, I didn't create it. Just took it over. And Andy, could you tell me a little bit about the podcast? First of all, what is pog? Okay. So if you're unfamiliar with the world's greatest breakfast beverage, it's passion orange guava, right? I'm (laughs) very unfamiliar with this. Listen, I, you're about to get enlightened. Find yourself a a, a, (laughs) a container of passion orange guava. Um, It's, Easily the most popular beverage on our dining porch uh, from the juice machine is Pog. Um, and so we, we put out, when we decided to launch the podcast, uh, we recognize that our staff is far punnier than we are. And we like things with puns. Um, and so we put out the call. We said, hey, listen, we're going to start a podcast. What should we call this? Um, and it took roughly 45 seconds for um, our former arts and crafts director to be like, call it the Pogcast. And nothing else uh, was even close to that. I will say, though, if you're considering a podcast, um, perhaps one that is easier to pronounce, because every time <laughs> I say welcome to the podcast, I have to say it like that, because otherwise you sound like podcast. And then people are like this is a fairly oddly named podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the podcast. I mean, I think we're fairly similar um, to what it sounds like the Back Porch podcast was doing originally. We're mostly interviews with staff, um, both returning staff and new staff. and in the summer, one of the things we do that's a little different is we transition. We stay in the same feed, but we rename the podcast and it changes what it does. So it it stops being the podcast and it becomes Wada Week. Um, our camp song has this, you do a twist move and you say Wada, Wada, Wada. So again, a name that makes no sense to anybody who's just searching for a random podcast. We're, we're marketing geniuses here. And so it's Wada Week. And that one features kids um, kind of going over the week. So Uh, It's a different, it's like by cabin, they get interviewed and they talk about this is what's happening at camp this week. And what we found is uh, we post those on YouTube. So they're video as well. 
but when parents have their kids at camp, that's when they're more likely to tune in, right? And so they're going to subscribe in the hopes that they hear their kid's cabin on what a week. But then when we transition back to the podcast in the fall, we're still on their phone and we're still hopefully getting downloaded. Um, so it's just like people talk about uh, when you are posting blog posts, it seems counterintuitive to do that during the summer when you're buried anyway and you're, you're working you know, 40 hours a day. But the reality is parents are paying more attention to your website in the summer. They're paying more attention to your video channels in the summer. That's when their kids are with you. So that's really, if you can swing it, in my opinion, the better time to produce that content because that's when people are looking. Um, and then the stuff you do when their kids are back at school, you're already maybe a trusted source of news or you're in their podcast app, XYZ. Um, so you've gotten yourself in the door. Whereas if, if I blog now, when I have the time and energy to do it, nobody's reading it because other than people who work at camp, nobody's thinking about camp in October. Um, so we found that that's been really useful trying to engage parents by getting into their feed in the summer. Yeah, I love it. So podcasts, I feel like everybody has a podcast these days. And Andy, you had a great article that you co-authored in the July, August issue of Camping Magazine that kind of gives an overview about 10 steps to think about when starting a podcast. And the stat that you have in here, which I can only imagine what it must be now, because I feel like there are new podcasts every single day, but it says as of January, 2020, there were 850,000 active podcasts with over 30 million podcast episodes. And again, I have no idea what that number could possibly be over a year after that, but why would you think that camps might want to start a podcast? And maybe you can speak to why the two of you either started a podcast with your camps or in the case for you, Sam, why you wanted to continue the Back Porch podcast. Yeah, I think for us, what we really wanted to do was, you know, in our office, we were all talking about, hey, what podcasts are you listening to? Right. That became a topic of conversation. And we said, if we're listening to these things and my wife is a notorious purchaser of things from podcast ad reads, right? Everything that's been read on Armchair Expert, I think we have tried at least once, if not more. Um, and we thought if it has that kind of impact on us, surely our camp parents are doing this as well. Um, and our original vision was like something that maybe parents and kids would listen to in the car together on the way to school on Monday morning, right? So before you get to school, start your week with a little bit of camp. Um, we realized that that maybe wasn't where we ended up landing, but our goal was really to continue the community and the positivity of camp to our camp families the rest of the year. Um, I, I don't personally feel like it should, I don't want marketing to feel like marketing because I, I think that's disingenuous. I want it that we're building a community. And if we've built a positive camp community that people want to be a part of, then that's the most effective marketing we can do, right? That's more effective than an ad read. It's more effective than sponsoring something in a school auction or, you know, in a newspaper, like buying that quarter page in a yearbook, that kind of stuff. It's much more effective if people feel like they belong and they feel like they're part of the community. Um, and this was a way that felt easy and natural to develop that throughout the year. Added bonus, like I got to say I had a podcast and I got to hear my own voice. I'm one of those people who loves the sound of my own voice. I love to talk. Um, and so that was just a natural extension. Like these are just wins all around. But really, our goal was to extend our camp community into people's earbuds when they can't be with us physically. 
Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, I love what you said about starting your week with a little bit of camp as you're going to school. I mean, what a better way to continue the positivity and the magic that comes with summer camp. And uh, I know from my own personal experience as a camper, that transition from camp back into the quote unquote real world, that was hard. And you tried to hold on to any piece of camp that you could. So I think that that is a perfect avenue to keep that going. Yeah, I, I think going off of that, um, I think a couple of the things that uh, Andy has said are, are, are really um, spot on, when it, especially when I think most of what I do is thinking as director of marketing is thinking about our audience. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and in our case, that's broken up into a bunch of little audiences because we do have year round programming and there's just really different kinds of people that we're reaching in different ways. And so um, uh, taking, you know, po- a podcast is just another great tool to um, that that's t- to tell a story um, and to tell our story. And like Andy said, it's not, it's a little bit, you can go deeper and it's a little bit more um, enriching if you're having longer conversations with someone about, about whatever. I mean, in our case, um, we have a series called the Torchbearer Chronicles, um, which is usually a, in a, our print magazine that we make. And it's about somebody who's gone to camp or worked at camp, who's now out in the world doing something interesting and what their camp experience meant to them. And so the last time that I had a kind of a lengthy episode of the podcast, it was really a, a companion piece, an interview to that. And which, so there was an audio version and there was a print version. And I think it was just such a great tool that's a little bit different than some of those boring marketing tools of like, um, yeah, like, you, you know, Google ads or, or whatever, yeah. um, that where you can go deep and you can really talk about um, not what camp is, but why does any of it matter? Um, and I think that's why people cling to podcasts is because it's about like the, a lot of them, at least the ones I do listen to are like the why of life, you know, like really getting into that. And I think, at least for me, that's definitely um, where my mind's at when thinking about what's the point of putting this on audio, I guess. And I think the thing Sam just mentioned about like, you have podcasts you listen to regularly. And, and the thing for me is, I feel like those people I have relationships with, because I think it's a very intimate format, right? You're listening. And because there's no time limit, you end up getting a lot deeper on a lot of things. Um, And I think it's really beneficial when you're thinking about camp podcasting to think about, listen, I'm building a really, I've already got, I've built that relationship with campers, right? We we all know that like the relationships built at camp are really powerful and kids go home and they try and explain that. And they try and say, Hey, like I got all these great friends, but parents, if they, especially if they weren't campers, that's a very kind of foreign thing for them. But if they're hearing you along with their kids, you're building that relationship. Um, And I think that's really powerful stuff, Um, especially if we're talking about one of the questions we always ask our staff when they come on the POG is, you know, how did working at camp impact you? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really great for parents to hear and understand, okay, my kids got changed, but this wasn't just a job for their counselors. This was something that was life-changing for them as well. Uh, and that elevates camp to a different level than just it's a place where my kids go and I don't have to hang out with them for two weeks. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think both of you are spot on. It takes it to another level that is much deeper and that much more intimate. And I think going back to understanding the why behind why parents would send their kids to camp, why kids get so much out of camp, it just, it, I think it creates so much more buy-in for lack of a better term, but it just yeah. reinforces the power that a summer camp can have on, on a child, on a family. And um, I love the idea of the Torchbearer series to look at camp alumni and what they're doing out in the world. And it is such a testament to, again, how camp can be such a foundational component of, of somebody's development and who they become. So when I think people have the idea to start a podcast, at first, it's all very exciting and they have the best intentions behind it because podcasts are all the rage nowadays and everybody's got one. But I think that one of the components that people maybe don't think about from the onset is the time commitment that goes into it. It's one thing to have a conversation and record it, but then you get into the nitty gritty details about editing and working with equipment and software and audio and publishing services. And there are just so many little components that are part of the entire package. So. When thinking about how often, in this case for, for camps and for camps that are wanting to do a podcast, can you guys speak a little bit to your own experiences about how often are you recording interviews or podcasts? How often are you publishing? And does that vary depending on the season? Because I think that is such a critical piece to think about going into it to say, okay, we are committed to posting once a month, once a week. Um, whatever it may be, so that the podcast can be sustainable in a long-term project. Yeah, I I think there's a there's a couple ways for me personally to look at that. For instance, if I'm thinking about a podcast that I want to have a growing wide audience, then you're going to probably want to use some best practices as far as like a consistent release day or or time or some or something like. People are know. Oh yeah, it's time for this. It's time for this next episode. Um, when because ours is typically really for very specific audiences that a lot of times are already pretty highly engaged with us. I can kind of do whatever I want. Um, and so ours ours is less of a consistent podcast and more of a way to use audio as a companion to the other things that we're doing. Um, and so uh, that's, as far as timing, I think we're kind of all over the place, um, but time commitment wise, yeah, anytime I decide I'm gonna use that companion, I'm gonna use audio for this project and make it a podcast episode out of it, it adds a significant amount of work. I and mean, it's the same for any time you add video. I know Anthony said earlier, they're putting some of theirs on YouTube. I think that's just one more thing that in the world of in media, it's just, it does, it adds time. And so um, I think you have to, if you're, if you were starting your own, you're starting a new one, you're asking yourself, do we have the time for this? I think it's kind of like, well, what do you want it to be? Um, if you're just going to lay up, if you're going to meet with someone in person, lay an iPhone on the table and hit record in the voice notes, Honestly, that's just like having a conversation and not building that much time. But if you're using more tools to record and then edit nicely and really thinking a lot about this is going to come out once a week, twice a week, or once a month, then it, that just adds more and more commitment to it. Yeah, and I think to build on kind of what Sam was saying there, 
you think to yourself, because the podcasts you listen to are probably fairly large and fairly well produced, you think, oh, I could do two episodes a week. Boy, I, I would really encourage you lay out what you think a season looks like. Who are you going to talk to? What are you going to talk about? Because that's a lot of content. And I think the other thing is, you know, and Sam mentioned it really, what are you trying to do here? Like, how long do you want it to be? It doesn't have to be 90 minutes. It doesn't have to be 45. It can, you know, generally we're 20 or 22 and 15 of that is an interview. We, time commitment wise, it's more at the beginning, right? Like you're, especially if you're, if you're doing that second version, if you're doing the one where it's just like three people around a table with a mic or an iPhone, and you're just going to like turn that out, that's pretty quick. But if you want to do segments or transitions or any of that kind of stuff, um, you obviously have to learn how to edit. And so it's going to take more time at the beginning. Practically speaking, we release every other week in the off season and every week during the summer, you know, time beyond the interviewing, there's probably an additional hour of editing and, you know, farting around with it to make sure it sounds the way I want it to sound. That said, I was raised by an electrical engineer who worked for a car radio company. So I'm picky about the way things sound. Um, I think you could do it in less time if you were less picky about how it sounded. But again, if we're thinking about this from a marketing point of view, right? I want, I want my marketing things to look like they were done professionally because I think parents are more likely to trust somebody who presents things that look and sound professional, right? Um, it's one thing, you know, I, I've t we've talked about perhaps doing a camper podcast where that's an activity where campers like record and then we publish a podcast. I think that could be much less professional, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're doing this the way we do it, which is to build a community um, and which is inherently a marketing thing, um, I want it to sound good. And so I probably spend an hour in addition to whatever time I spend on interviews, an hour a week getting stuff edited and, and ready to go. Okay. So in that regard, it's really about at the onset, thinking critically about, do you have the bandwidth and the mm -hmm. time to be able to, to not only record the podcast, but to really give it the due time that it deserves in order to be a quality product. And especially if it's one that you're using as a marketing tool. So I think that's a good segue to, to start talking about different types of equipment and resources that people might consider using when starting a podcast. I mean, I can think of if I were to start my own podcast, I think my thoughts would go to, do I need to buy the most expensive, highest quality microphone out there? Do I need to get really high tech headphones? What kind of editing software do I need to consider? So I would really like to hear your guys' thoughts on, uh, does it have to be an expensive endeavor or is it a lot more affordable than people realize? At Tecumseh, we're really lucky that we have a really high quality media so this type of question comes up when I talk about that, like our, our cameras and our editing software and our computers it comes up a lot in that realm too. And what I think it goes back to what we both sort of said, which was, what is the point of you doing this? And if you find a point, you say, well, here's why I want to do the podcast and it matters to us and it's going to be beneficial to us. Then you don't have to spring for whatever armchair expert or like the daily on the New York Times is using or whatever, but you, you're going to need at least some kind of setup that isn't so crackly and bad audio that it's distracting to your listeners. Because then it's like, well, what, then you go back to, 
it, or if the audio isn't at least normal, you know, then you go back to, well, what's the point of doing this? Why can't we could just send this out as a newsletter? Or, or if, yeah. you know, so I think there's a baseline of, I'm going to get at least one recording device. So we have, and what I was just, is we have Zoom H4N, and that's not, um, that's not in no way related to the Zoom, like this video thing that we're using right now. It's a portable, like field recorder that usually people use for video, like to record um, audio for video out, out, out the bell. And we use them at camp for a bunch of different things. But that is um, pretty affordable. And you can sit it on a table. You can also hook mics into it. Um, you can hook it to your computer. I mean, there's lots of different ways to get like, a tool like that. You know, put that in your budget and use it for many things. So I guess I'm saying you don't have to spring for something crazy, but there is some sort of minimum required. Otherwise, why do this? Yeah, I would agree. I think um, we were talking earlier. If I added up all of the equipment we use for our podcast, I'm we might be in for one hundred and fifty dollars. Um, it's an Audio Technica mic, and then I use uh, like an audio box, USB kind of box to channel it through. But even that, you could do it for less. There are certainly under a hundred dollars good either Bluetooth or USB mics, and and literally any mic is going to be an upgrade over just talking into your computer's built-in mic. Um, and I think you can do that at a, at a fairly affordable price point. And then from an editing standpoint, we use audacity, which is free and it has plenty of support online. We taught ourselves how to do it. It, it wasn't rocket science. I, I would agree with Sam that you need, you need something above just what you have sitting on your desk right now, but it, it doesn't need to be, you know, a ton of equipment. You don't need a studio and, you know, sound padding and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that's necessary. I think you just want like something where you get a good solid input and a way to edit it in, in a reasonable way. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll add to that. The reason I say that I think is you're not going to get lucky and be in a quiet room forever right. with, with your guests or whatever. And, and um, so if you were, if you know, for sure, we're always going to be in this one room and it's always quiet. Then yeah, you probably don't need anything. Um, the point is it's not going to be bad and distracting to the listener, but I was also just thinking about when, when I started Campwire, you know, I had a headset at the ACA office and that's what I use. Just at, at that point, eventually I used a field recorder like I do at camp. Honestly, I don't know why I can't remember any of the details from then, but, uh, and then I would ask guests like, Hey, do you have a quiet space? Like maybe close the door of your office. Like that was the baseline. Pretty, it wasn't like an equipment based baseline. It was just like, make sure you're not somewhere loud, which is why I keep asking if I'm in a loud place because I'm breaking that rule. Uh, and I, I just, as an aside, because I have had audio problems and we're talking about this, um, one of the biggest rules, this goes for podcasting or anything with video too, is expect problems. <laughs> Always expect for there to be problems. I mean, I think the worst case scenario, you have to like, an, an interview isn't usable and that's like a bummer, huge bummer. But I just always, I've had enough tech issues happen all the time. And I feel like someone who's fairly tech savvy um, that I just expect it to happen. I still I've had a plan for it. Um, and even then it doesn't always work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a great mindset to have going into it. And uh, I think when your listeners 
hear that there might be problems or or audio issues or, or whatever it is, it makes it more relatable and, and like they're right in this with you in that. Um, or at least I feel that way about the podcast that I listen to. I feel like I feel like I know the hosts and I know them um, in a way that brings them down to a more um, relatable level than just a high quality podcast that exists in the cloud somewhere. Um, so I know that people will probably be curious ab- about the equipment that you guys just mentioned and maybe some of the software programs. So we'll be sure to include links to those resources in the show notes so people can um, at least get a starting point and some inspiration about maybe what they would want to look for for their podcasts. I want to talk for a second about using music and maybe other sound effects, whatever that might look like in podcasts. And I think that there are certainly some licensing rules to follow or at least to be mindful of when it comes to incorporating music, whether that be intro music, outro music. If you wanted to play a clip from a song, can you guys speak to that a little bit? So, yeah, I I have made videos like just for fun for years and I come up just as a, uh, a problem or a challenge in that realm too and at camp too we used to use popular videos in our songs and we just kept while while I don't really care to be honest personally about the legality of that because I don't I think Sony has enough money I'm not too worried about us taking money from them by playing their songs but Facebook and other social media outlets are muting more and more music that doesn't that isn't like and so what i found was our stuff on our videos was getting muted automatically and then that drove me crazy so we switched to royalty free music through a company called soundstripe which you can get monthly you pay for a monthly subscription but it's a pretty low cost and you can like if you're going to do just the summertime it's like 17 a month so you're talking 50 you know something dollars for the whole summer or and then if you say oh wait i want to do another episode in the fall you can just get one more month later um and i think that is really handy but it's always a headache um, because i want things to sound a certain way and you have to do a lot of digging in that to find the mood you're looking for um, and interestingly actually i don't know if it still is but the campwire theme song for a long time just in a small acoustic guitar part um, I recorded that in my house, my old house in India, and made, just made that up on the spot because I was sick of trying to find a royalty-free acoustic guitar part that I thought would sound good for a camp podcast. And so I just made it up because I can play just like a basic chords and a little bit of guitar and just threw that in there. And so part of it is just like getting creative and what is it that you want and why, you know, those same kind of questions as before. Um, and then there are some tools like Soundstripe or other places that have actual royalty-free music. Yeah, I think that's um, important, especially if you're going to end up, uh, if you want to put it on YouTube. And, and there are very easy ways to kind of automate the process so that stuff just gets onto YouTube. Because a lot of people listen to podcasts there as well as watching video. And, and music is can be a huge financial liability. Um, especially if you're using it because you're a commercial entity. I mean, I think it's really important. Not What we have run into in the past is our media people who are college students, like they're counselor age people, say, well, YouTube didn't mute it, so it must be okay. And it's like, yes, but um, just because YouTube didn't mute it doesn't mean you don't necessarily as an entity have some liability for the rights to that music. And somebody 
um, could come to you years later uh, and say, hey, this video that you published in 2010 has music that I own and you never paid me. And this is what those royalties are. And it can end up being hundreds of thousands of dollars they ask for. Um, so I think pay up front for something that gives you the rights. Uh, make sure that when you're looking at that, um, those rights include podcast. Some, some people who are selling rights to music are selling video specific rights or they're selling non-commercial rights. I mean, for a business, it's commercial use. And so you need to be very aware of that. You need to read the small print. You can't just pick a song you like. Um, and then I think you, it's one of those things you want to do early, right, in the process because you don't want to get yourself in a situation where, you know, your podcast or your videos become more popular than you ever thought they would. Great success. But now I'm on the hook for royalties to the tunes of tens of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. uh, because yeah. I didn't do my homework at the beginning. Okay. Yeah. So very important to, to do your homework when thinking about including music or, or other sounds in your podcasts. Let's talk for a second about guests that you bring on to any sort of podcast episode, podcast interview, whatever it might be. And this could go right along with um, coming up with different topics and subjects for podcasts. So when thinking about when you're looking at the calendar of the month ahead or the next few episodes, can you guys talk a little bit about what the thought process is like when you're considering what are we going to discuss? What are some of the, the topics maybe in the industry or with our particular audience that would be of interest and would hold a conversation? And when you, when you come up with those ideas, what is your process for finding guests to bring onto the show? Or do you find that guests reach out to you saying, hey, I would love to come onto your show and talk about this particular topic? What does that typically look like? So our podcast is not nearly popular enough that people are cold calling us to, uh, to get on for promotional opportunities quite yet. Ours is, at least in the off season, entirely staff interviews and former camper interviews, that kind of thing. Uh, so as far as a guest base, you know, I go to our alumni Facebook group and I go to our staff Facebook group. It's like, hey, it's podcast time. Who wants to be on? I have some repeat offenders who will come on every single year. Basically, I'm looking to go twice a month every month between October and May. And so I need to kind of line those people up. Uh, as far as the questions, the good news is I'm talking to people I already know, um, and we're talking about how camp impacted them. So I have a, a pretty standard set of questions that I know I'm gonna ask everybody. Stuff like, you know, what's your favorite thing at camp? What's your favorite food on the salad bar? Uh, how did camp change your life? You know, little stuff, kind of getting into bigger stuff. And so that's what we do. I would be interested if Sam had kind of thoughts on maybe, or you actually talking about camp wire, how do you figure out what you're going to talk about? Because for, for our camp podcast, that's not something we consider. We're just, we're going to talk to people from camp about camp and that's a pretty natural conversation. Well, as somebody who is very new to the podcast <laughs> world and especially to camp wire, that's something that I personally am still figuring out. And uh, that's why like this episode in particular is extremely educational for me. Um, so if anybody gets anything about out of this episode is going to be, <laughs> I appreciate that. But I think looking at what is going on in the, in the grander scheme of the world of camp, and maybe it has to do with things that are going on in the world, especially, you know, the past year and a half related to, to COVID and, and things of that nature, but also, but also thinking about, um, different populations of the country and what they might be, what issues they might be dealing with, um, what approaches they are taking to different 
um, topics or concerns and how it relates to um, our camp, our camp communities out there. So again, it's something that I'm still um, very new to in navigating. And so I'm curious to hear, Sam, your thoughts on the process, not only for, for Camp Wire or for the Back Porch podcast, but kind of your thoughts as a whole on, on finding topics and finding guests and, and what that looks like for you. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I pulled, I pulled up uh, the Camp Wire podcast because I was curious about um, some of those early episodes because I'll say the very first one ever was a really short episode and it was a conference preview. It's just before the national, a national conference in 2017. Um, and so that one was, I think, I remember getting that ready and thinking this will be a good time to do this. A lot of people have ACA on their mind in that time. And it has a very specific purpose. And that is we brought on Tom Rosenberg at the time and had him preview what was coming at the conference. And so people could hopefully listen to it on the plane or whatever as they're traveling to maybe Orlando, I can't, whatever that, wherever it was that year. And so it was very topical and time sensitive. And then, you know, looking ahead after that, I think I was just finding what was interesting. Um, that was around the time too, the ACA uh, was, Talk, uh, announcing a lot of new research initiatives, with, uh, particularly Research 360. So I had an episode with, with uh, Dr. Lori Brown. And, and then after that, had an episode about marketing and media with the person who was in my former job. And so it was really just, I think, at the, at the very onset, kind of what I was interested in. But we did have a couple, um, it's not, and I don't, and maybe the numbers are like huge now, but when I was doing it, it was a pretty, still a very modest podcast, um, but ACA's audience is large enough that we did have some people reach out sometimes um, interested in being involved. And I, don't, I was open, I had an open mind to whoever, but I also wanted it to still be like a great conversation. And so the fourth episode of, I'm looking at it now, it's always on my, the fourth episode was this guy named Dan Lee, who stand-up paddleboarded the entire uh, Mississippi River. And we actually talked to him while he's on the river on his stand-up paddleboard with, like, with his headphones. Um, and that was pretty cool. And that was just like, he was doing it to raise money for ACA, one of ACA's uh, fundraising efforts. And that sort of just came out of left field and was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about it. And so I think there was a little bit of both of what's topical and what's happening right now in the world of camp slash the world of ACA. And what's, let's also jump on the opportunities that are just coming up. And I'm talking a lot, but I will say also that with, with Tecumseh's, because it's different, um, and it's not like a regularly scheduled release, I really have the flexibility to be like, I'm just gonna do this whenever I see fit. And part of that is, how can I use audio, if I just go back to how can I use audio to enhance whatever this thing is? Like, what's the point? Why even do it? And a lot of times I get to the point where it's like, well, there isn't a point. And actually maybe what I'm trying to convey is better with like a photo series on Instagram. That's all it needs. But sometimes it is like, can I dive deep into the magic of camp, the power of camp and the power of, in our case, a camp becomes to experience and audio is a great place for that. So I'll base who I'm looking for 
after sort of those answers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's super important to consider. Um, exactly what you just touched on is what we're trying to promote and discuss. Is it worth creating an audio podcast or is it more appropriate for, like you mentioned earlier, a newsletter or a blog post or um, an Instagram post? So definitely something for people to really think about when coming up with these topics, bringing guests on, um, finding what is the most engaging for their audiences and the most impactful. And right along those lines, I think that one of the trends, and maybe it's been around for a while and I'm just new to the trend, is podcasts doing live shows. And it seems like at least a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, they either go on tour or rent out a theater in their local towns and have a podcast recording in front of a live audience. And I'm curious to know if either of you have have gotten into that world at all. And if not, maybe what might be the time and place to do that? What might be the pros and cons? Because if you're, I mean, the beauty of a podcast and having a recording is that you can go back in and edit it and um, take out any audio issues or, or things of that nature. But having it in front of a live audience takes it to an entirely new level. So could either of you speak to that? I've never done that. But what I think would be really interesting is actually for you and for ACA, you kind of have the platform and the audience and the connection to um, big camp speakers to make that a reality at whether it's the national conference or smaller conferences. You know, I do think Camp Tecumseh is hosting MAC, the Mid-American Camp Conference in January. And so I think, yeah, maybe, maybe there's a place for me to like just be a host in that setting and talk to a couple other camp pros. But when it comes to our podcast, it would have to be like a really specific scenario for me, I think. I mean, it sounds fun. It sounds awesome. But I'd have to do some like thinking about how would we get the audience there? Why would they come to this? And what would be the point for it? Because we're just not like when I think of like Mark Marin, who I love, podcaster or armchair expert or whatever like they're famous you know they got famous guests and so there's automatically a draw to have an in-person event Mandy I don't know if, if I know you know you obviously too are going like uh, really hitting a direct audience and so I wonder is does yours ever get live in the summer since you are putting them out in the summer yeah so that's what I was gonna say is we don't do it in front of a live audience because I'm not sure that you know kids would love watching other kids do the podcast. I'm not sure that has a huge draw, <laughs> but we do the audio and the video is a live shot. So it's like, it's, there's no editing on that summer one. It's just like a cabin worth of kids and their counselors and um, our owner hosting. And she just asks them questions and they answer. Um, and so it is a more live podcast. It doesn't have that same like energy of like, yeah, you know, Mark Marin in a room with 1500 people while he interviews, you know, Terry Gross from Fresh Air, but it does have more of that live, unedited, unadulterated feel. And what we've heard is, you know, parents like seeing that little snippet of camp and they like seeing kids being in that natural setting. So I think it's, people like to listen to it. And so we record live, but I wouldn't call it a live episode, mm -hmm. so to speak. Switching gears just a bit. Something that I think about from time to time when listening to podcasts, and I'm sure people are curious about when considering starting a podcast is the business side of it. So some podcasts, like the ones that we just talked about, like Mark Marin and the, the big wigs in the podcast world that are super famous, 
I imagine that they can make quite a profit off of their podcasts. And they're, I mean, we're getting into the whole like monetization of podcasts and acquiring sponsors. And if people are starting podcasts, are they doing it because they want to make money off of it? Again, this is something that is new to me. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on if you've gotten into getting sponsored for for podcasts, how to go about getting sponsors, what does that process look like? Um, And if there is money to be made from podcasts, because I think, again, that's probably something to consider when, when camps or other organizations are thinking about, A, do we have the time to do a podcast? And B, in the grand scheme of things, is this something that we can afford to do? Or do we need to spend our time and energy elsewhere? Or are we doing it purely for the love of it and for the audience and for the community side of it? The way I would look at it is, especially if people are considering starting one, is don't look at it like that. Don't look at it as a way to make money. Unless you have some kind of brilliant, unique idea that you know is going to catch on, then which I, I just am skeptical of, then I would say, look at it as does nice, does high quality photography at my camp make us money? And the answer is the image doesn't make you direct money unless you're selling them. But showing the camp experience in a high quality way can get new campers, it can get donations. Like indirectly, this is just another tool to tell your story to the world. So yeah, you, theoretically, you can make money off of it, you know, and, but it's the same way that you can make money off of any effort that you do to tell the world about your camp. And I, I just, yeah, I would really steer away from saying, let's start this podcast because there may be some you know, income there. I just, I mean, all the best if you can do it. I just don't imagine that. Happening. Yeah, I would agree entirely with Sam there. I think there might be some small amount of money if you were doing an industry-focused podcast, if you're talking about camp, although I think there are plenty of good industry podcasts already in that field. I, I think of it more like, I don't know if either of you guys have listened, Trader Joe's has a podcast, which that's how I look at ours. Like, because theirs is not sponsored. Like, it's just like behind the scenes at Trader Joe's. And it's fascinating. And I think when I think about grocery stores, not a ton of them have a lot in common with camps, but I think Trader Joe's kind of does in that it has a following of people who are very loyal to it. It's different. It feels smaller and more community-based X, Y, Z. And so that kind of podcast is what I think we're doing, which is a little, I don't want to say behind the scenes because it's not really, but it's community building and it's talking about what we do to people who are already interested. I'm not delusional. I don't think Um, that anybody like finds the gold arrow camp podcast in the i in you know apple podcasts and like that's how the kid gets to camp i don't think that's what it's doing i think it's much more about uh retention it's about making people feel like they belong to something and therefore they're more willing to send their kids to you yeah it's your your you know they may not find it listen to it sign up but but it's that's one more piece that cultivates that overall thing that you're trying to do with whatever it is that you do at your camp. Like, what is the point of our of our organization? Yeah. And let us this may be goofy and silly at times, or it may get serious at other times. But it's all part of that of telling that story, which ultimately that's the good marketing. That is what brings money to whatever you're trying to do. It's just much harder to track directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. Looking at 
the bigger picture and how does this support our overall mission and what we are trying to accomplish and the community that we're trying to build. So definitely something to keep in mind, especially for camps and other organizations that may be considering starting a podcast and, and understanding why they're doing it. Real quick, if I could just build on that just a little, because I think one of the things that we're hearing a lot from people is staffing has been very difficult. And one mm -hmm. of the things we heard that was a surprise to me was when we hire staff, a lot of them are saying, oh, I found you in, on, on podcasts and I went back and listened. So I had an idea of what it was like, um, which is not what we intended our podcast to be at all. But now knowing that moving forward, it's going to shape a little bit more what we ask our guests this season, knowing that potential employees and new hires are finding us in that way, which I was shocked by. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's it, super interesting. I wouldn't yeah. have considered that. But yeah, yeah what like, a great I, side I, effect. I was like, I'm sorry, you listened to the podcast? And they're like, yeah, no, I, I got the whole thing. I was like, okay, so now we need to maybe alter what we're talking about a little. Right, but I think you're exactly right. I mean, hearing hearing voices rather than just seeing an advertisement or, or reading yeah. something on the website, it does, it gets, it gets people a behind the scenes look that takes it a level deeper that print and other forms might not be able to do. Great, so as we're coming up on time, uh, I just want to go over if you guys had any additional challenges to to mention or to bring light to. We talked about challenges with tech issues and audio concerns and maybe not necessarily challenges, but just kind of some key points to consider when approaching the creation of a podcast. Are there other challenges that we have not discussed that you think that people ought to be aware of or at least have kind of in the back of their mind as they're going through the process that is podcast production. Yeah, I, I, I think I want to just, I'm going to keep stressing is what is, you have to ask what is the point? Because I think, you know, Andy mentioned it too, he that they Googled it and they found um, Audacity. That's exactly what I did at Campwire. And I used that, maybe you're going to use the same program, but that's what I used when I was doing Campwire. Now I use something that's built into Adobe because I have Adobe, but all of those things you can Google and there are lists that say, use this, <laughs> use this and this. So when it comes to like the real challenge is, do I have something to say? And do the, does my audience care and want to listen to it? And that's the biggie, you know, that's the biggie. And um, so, and that that is what I tell people too. Um, I'm really lucky, I would say that I'm a, I'm a marketing guy. There aren't very many of us that just do marketing. There's a lot of times people who are doing it are doing all kinds of other camp director duties as well. And so when I talk to some of them about what they're like trying to do different social media or whatever, I'd say, do what you're good at. You know, if you're good at Instagram, just do that really well and don't try to be on everything. Um, and I would say this is the exact same thing. Just because lots of other camps or people are starting them, that is not a good enough reason. You know, the reason to start it is because you've got a way to use it that's beneficial to you and to the people who are going to listen to it. And, and you can do that with 10 people. It can be beneficial. It doesn't have to be a big audience, but there needs to be a point to those 10 people who are going to tune in and listen. Yeah, 100%. I think my advice, and we talked a little bit about this in the story in Camping Magazine, is... So you think it's a good idea and you think, yes, we're going to do this. Record five or six, like get yourself a nice baseline. See if it's what you like. What we did was we self-hosted our files on our website for the first year until we decided if it was, if we had an audience and we felt like this was something we wanted to keep doing. And then we moved uh, to a hosting service because 
for as many podcasts as there are, you know, how many of those are failed and dead in the podcast store? And there's just people stopped doing them. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think, and we talked a little bit about this at the beginning, there's this novelty to it when you start and it feels exciting and new, just like anything. Yeah, give yourself a little trial run. See if it accomplishes the goals you want to accomplish. Is it doing what you want it to do? And if it is great, keep doing it. And if it's not, don't be afraid to say, hey, we tried this thing and we walked away from it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And not just the walking away thing. And that's, and that's really good advice to try. Don't do one and give up or don't, yeah. you know. But also that kind of goes back to a little bit of like, when did you want these to come out? And allow yourself for that schedule to fail. You know, mm -hmm. like just because you think I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it consistently every Wednesday, it's going to come out. You might need a breather after five and think to yourself, well, I still have ideas, but I need to track down a guest. I need to track down this. Well, then wait a couple weeks. Like it's not, maybe it's not ideal, but like allow yourself to have a little flexibility to use it, to then use that tool appropriately and, and the best, to the best of your ability, I guess. And I think the flip side of that is don't get so excited when you get a couple done that you rush them out. Like mm -hmm. nobody knows you have it done except you release it on a schedule that makes sense as opposed to like three in one week and then none for six weeks, unless you have something really specific you're talking about. Like, like Sam's is more as they have things to talk about, they release and ours is a little bit more scheduled. Um, so for us, like I'm in the process of recording for this season, I've got five recorded already. We're going to release the first one on Monday um, to kind of kick off this season. So I, I know some people get really excited as soon as it's done, they want to put it out in the world you can sit on it. Nobody knows you have it done yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, I think that's really wise to think about have kind of your expectations going into it about how often you're going to post it and, and what your calendar is going to look like. But also, uh, like you said, that flexibility and, and giving yourself grace and being patient with mm -hmm. yourself to adjust it if you need to, and to know that that's okay, because ultimately you or your organization is the one that started it in the first place. So you have the ability to, to change it and to adapt it um, as needed. Right. And like, again, I have no idea what Andy's numbers are, so I don't know. Maybe he's got like 40,000 downloads or something. <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but my, my guess is we're, we're all talking about small enough audiences that they're, it's like a forgiving base. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't deliver exactly what they expect, they probably don't care. You know, they're just going to be fans of it when it does get delivered. That being said, if you think I really want to grow this audience, no matter what, then you might want to just try to be consistent. With. It's kind of just, I, you know, consistency is great. I'm just saying, allow yourself to be a little bit flex flexible in that too, and don't kill yourself to make to make a deadline work if it shows not to be good. Absolutely. Well. As we come to the end of our conversation here, is there anything that we have not touched on that either of you would like to mention or discuss? I, I think we've covered everything I would say about a podcast. I mean, I think yeah. if you feel convicted or driven or it sounds like fun, give it a try. Like it's really low barrier to entry. It's, it's fairly straightforward. Like Sam mentioned, it is not difficult to find a tutorial or 500 on how to do a podcast uh, online. Give it a try. I think the upside is certainly from a marketing point of view. If we're going to think about this from a business point of view, the upside is pretty significant, right? You can get yourself on people's phones who are already connected with you. That's where people live. We know that. If you can find a way to build a relationship with them in their ears where they're voluntarily engaging with what you're saying, that's a really big deal from like 
camper retention and camper recruitment, right? That's, it, it doesn't feel like advertising when in fact mm -hmm. it kind of is. So the, the barrier entry is low. The upside is pretty high. If it flops, it flops. And you know, if it flops because 25 people a week, listen, all right. So 25 people a week miss out on your podcast. You know, it's, it's not the end of the world if it fails and you shouldn't be afraid to fail with this kind of thing. Yeah. I think I totally agree with that. Um, uh, I don't know if I even have anything to add. <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I feel like I, I've said a lot about questioning whether you should do it, but I want to be clear that I agree with Angie, like give it a shot. I mean, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying just don't do it. If the only reason is because others are doing it. Yeah. So if you think, Hey, I know we do, we can connect this way. We can do this. Yeah. Go for it. Get something that get in a quiet room. If you can buy a, field recorder or a decent mic do that too and then start chatting with with your people i love it absolutely well for people to to learn more about your podcasts and your camps uh where can they find you ours is so odd that i wouldn't even search it i would just you can work if we do have audio pieces they're going to come out on our site and on our social media and so we're camp we're Camp Tecumseh YMCA on Instagram and I think YMCA Camp Tecumseh on Facebook. So there's those ways to, to find us. I think if you just search Camp, there's a couple other Tecumseh on the East Coast, I think, but I think if you search it, we're probably going to come up on Instagram. Uh, likewise, all of our socials are at Gold Arrow Camp. YouTube, you can see, you can listen to the podcast there. We have playlists on our YouTube channel if you really want to. Um, and interestingly, I, just because I pulled it up, you can see the difference in engagement between stuff we do in the summer just on YouTube because the views are public summer versus off season uh, and it's dramatic. And then if you really desperately want to find us, the podcast app of your choice, the Gold Arrow Camp Pog, P-O-G cast. That's where we are. That's it. And where can we find Passion Orange Guava? Listen, we get ours from Cisco. I can't speak uh, to anybody else, but uh, that it comes <laughs> the was more a personal question than anything, <laughs> but I appreciate it. <laughs> Okay. Well, guys, I so appreciate your time. And again, I, I feel like I've learned a ton about podcasting from, from the inside out. So um, I thank you so much for, for your expertise and your wisdom and your insights. And again, for just um, giving our listeners um, some information about, about podcasts. Well, thank you. It was uh, yeah. a lot of fun to be on. Thank you for tuning in today for the Camp Wire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe. Our podcast episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, anywhere where you enjoy listening to your podcasts. And the best way for people to learn about our show is by rating, reviewing, and sharing. So if you have somebody in mind who either is a camp professional, loves summer camp, or is maybe thinking about starting a podcast, send them a link to the show. You can also follow us at ACA Camps on pretty much every social media platform. And you can also learn more by visiting acacamps.org. <laughs> <laughs>